0: Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Food with Mark Bittman. As usual, you can reach us at food at MarkBitman.com. We're happy to hear from you and we'll answer. Send us questions, answers, criticisms, congratulations, felicitations, joy, etc. Also, please subscribe to our podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts and rate it, wherever you do that, also. You might also consider subscribing to our thrice weekly newsletter, The Bitman Project at bitmanproject.com. And for all things related to our work, you can find them at markbitman.com.
5: and 365-day returns.
0: Hi, folks. We have a new sponsor and an interesting one. We all take about 20,000 breaths a day, and Americans spend about 90% of our time indoors. That indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. And indoor air pollutants could cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So, what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to our listeners, you will also receive a free 3-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. That's A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code BITMAN. We are rerunning our not-quite-year-old, I think, interview with our friend Jose Andres. It was an extremely popular episode, and um, Jose has only grown in fame and stature since we recorded this and thought it was worthwhile playing again. If you didn't listen the first time, you will really want to hear this. And if you did listen to the first time, I enjoyed listening to it a second time. So here we go. So good to see you. You look so great. It's really it's a pleasure to see you.
3: Uh, I lost a lot of weight (laughs) mark. You look awesome too. And and you know, I'm not gonna lie to you, but people like you that for years you've been you're uh, talking about food as something good, but also talking as food that can be something healthy and great, and and one should not go against the other. This pandemic, I lost 78 pounds. Um, I, I still eat what I like. I still drink what I like. Uh, but, you know, much more conscious on, on the quantities, on more sports. Uh, and, and here I am, my friend,
0: what are you doing for exercise?
3: Uh, if I will go to a restaurant in South Spain and the restaurant was one hour and 10 minutes away walking, I will leave my home one hour and 10 minutes before I will not get on the car. And even often I will go back walking. So I know, I know this sounds like a strain, but obviously if if you're taking a break and you're on vacation and you want to enjoy the food you love, and at the same time you want to take care of yourself, is this kind of things we have all to do to make sure it happens. cannot be that my own restaurants, my own food industry is the one that is making people obese and overweight and unhealthy. Uh, I think we all need to take personal responsibility. It's all to us. Me, I'm also a chef. I'm also a cook. I am in charge of feeding people. People put in me their faith and in so many others, uh, the way they eat. And for me, I have to understand how this thing works 360. Uh, And this, this year of COVID for me has been the realization of a lot of things. One of them is that my industry brings joy and gives great times to people and families coming to our restaurants, but also, uh, you know, our own restaurants with the portion size and everything in between, we can be part of the problem too. It's not about being being overweight or not. It's about feeling good, period, and and I feel great now.
0: I'm wondering if you've changed the menus at all in any of the restaurants per your discoveries around, or your, your increased realization around diet and eating and the role restaurants play and so on but
3: remember i was always very proud that my restaurants did the small portions and i was always very proud that i tried really to price the items in the menu at the right price we we are the brokers of our guests chefs general managers restaurant owners we we are the brokers of our guests when they come we must give them the best possible experience also I began realizing that sometimes when somebody comes that we want to show appreciation, we may not buy them the check, but we send extra food. I realized that this extra, extra food uh, was not making much sense anymore. We make the kitchen more, more. We, we we use more food that the people cannot barely eat. Yes, we look good. Look at how generous we are. We are, are generous, Humanity, yes. Humanity is about generosity, and the way we have to spread generosity is, let me give you more. Yeah. And I came to realize that this is wrong. In my case, when I go to a restaurant and people show love and appreciation, man, I can only be but thankful, but I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to make sure that, 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 that I leave the restaurant not feeling guilty. And they are the way that, that those people want to show me love. It's giving me more food. It's like a nightmare. Even things like these are making me, in this COVID-19, to rethink that this is not the way, that these other ways to show respect, other ways to show appreciation. This way, we don't make the kitchen work extra. We don't make the waiters work extra. Even for food, nobody's going to get any extra money or people or anything. To make the entire system work more, you spend food that is going to end in the garbage if people don't take it. You're wasting food. At the end, even empathy and even goodwill can be a negative. So I'm trying to be more pragmatic and more conscious like I've always been. You've been the most pragmatic person I've ever known <laughs> on food issues. Uh, Mark, you've been a good, a good teacher of many with your writings, your, your sarcastic way of seeing uh, life and food itself. And I just realized that life is always about evolution about about rethinking about not taking things for granted or not being fixated that is this way or no way things change things have an evolution and we all have to to go with that
0: two or three things you said just now are so smart i mean life-wise yes second guessing second guessing is just reevaluating what you're doing and saying can i do it better that makes perfect sense but you know i had not thought about As you know, I know a lot of chefs, and I often would have the kind of experience I would have at Haleo or, or one of your restaurants. I'd have those at other places where people would start saying, oh, welcome, here's a bunch of stuff extra. And it was, in a way, it got to the point where first you'd feel guilty you weren't eating the food that your friend was sending out for you to eat. Or you'd force yourself to eat it, which made you drink more wine at the same time and you'd stumble out into the street. I mean, it's a funny problem to have, but um, I realized that I slowed down going to restaurants. I went to fewer and fewer restaurants because there was just too much food. It's super interesting because it does raise questions for you know, restaurants in general, not just you. I mean, you're you're among the more advanced thinking and, and clever uh, chefs, but still, everybody's got to be grappling with this. How do I adjust my menu? Uh, not only post-COVID, but in the in an era where people are eating more consciously and thinking more about food waste and thinking more about what they put in their bodies and so on. What does that mean for restaurants, which were until very recently places where the, the primary word was sort of abundance? You wanted to like. Talk about quantity. You wanted to say, we are going to treat you really well with the, not only the highest level of ingredients, but lots of them and lots and lots of food. And now it's sort of like, how can we treat you right and impress you without killing you with kindness or, or something? And, and
3: obviously, uh, uh, this uh, anybody that wants to use what I'm saying right now can take it in the wrong way. Say, no, now now, Jose Andres or chefs, they, they want to be... Doctors, to an, well, uh, to a degree, we are, we all are, uh, when we are trying to talk about how to build a better community, a better society, how to make sure that we don't have um, obese people in one side and hungry people in the other, <laughs> that we don't degrade everything around us, even in our own communities, and uh, unconsciously or consciously with what we put on the plate that uh, we make people overwork and underpay because we have to take care of so many things that at the end the only way to take care of is let's add more people to the payroll So because we need to have more people instead of being smarter in how we do things. So we have more people but we pay them less so therefore we can be in business. It's all these kind of things that even those lists of cheap eats that some magazines or newspapers have in America and around the world Um, I understand they're good. When I was younger, I appreciate those lists, But sometimes, even that moment, uh, uh, if you are paying too little for something, it's somebody losing. Somebody or something is being lost in the chain. Uh, The farmer is not getting paid his first share, or the cook is not getting paid, or the guy delivering the food is not getting paid. Something happens, so you like your quinoa. It's great. You are not supposed to know about everything, but you want to. But all of a sudden, because you're quinoa, somebody in Peru then 15, 20 years ago when the quinoa craze began, all of a sudden they cannot feed their families because you love for quinoa and because you pay more, therefore they cannot afford it. It's fascinating. Those are the unintended consequences that we must not feel guilt for them. But it's good that we have people that makes us smarter, makes us understand the 360 of every situation. Therefore, our actions can have positive, real achievements in real time, not 20, 30 years from now.
0: When you look at a plate, when you go to the supermarket to buy an ingredient, whatever it is, it's not just the food, it's the labor, it's the farmer, it's the environment, it's all of that. And, I'm, you know, there are ways we can do, we can make things better right now, but the long-term solution is really more democracy, and that that's a, a multi-generational project.
2: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
1: Planning for your next trip?
0: Hi folks, we have a new sponsor and an interesting one. We all take about 20,000 breaths a day, and Americans spend about 90% of our time indoors. That indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. And indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So, what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Bitman. B-I-T-T-M-A-N, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to our listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. That's A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code BITMAN. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Let's talk about World Central Kitchen before we stray too far because i mean pretty interesting you had a small restaurant empire empire is an exaggeration i suppose but a a, you know a a nice restaurant chain you had a lot of respect i love you many other people do the food's great you're doing well here all of a sudden out of the blue it seems to most people some number of years ago you'll tell us what You go off and start feeding the world for free. Tell us that story and tell us what's bring us up to date on that.
3: Well, it's not not for free because we have thousands of of Americans and people around the world that that they do a big effort supporting us. Well, Centra Gitchen, I think the seeds that were planted in me happened through my lifetime. Uh, random moments of learning that shape who we are. My mom and my dad were those people in my life. They were nurses. I saw empathy in hospitals and kindness since I was very little. My mom and my dad, they had two shifts. My father worked at night, my mother in the morning, we had the visitor. Uh, so uh, the hospital was the exchange grounds uh, between father and mother of uh, to, to give my brothers and I one to each other. Uh, I saw empathy there in the form of nurses and doctors always going the extra mile to read a book to a child, waiting for their family to arrive, or walking uh, with an elderly woman that requires some 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 movement for her, uh, improvement, uh, uh, things like that that sometimes happen beyond their duty. And I know that. Uh, my father uh, loved to cook, my mom too. My mom would make things out of nothing. The refrigerator in my house very much will be like a Best Buy commercial at the end of the month. You'll open it and it'll be so clean and so empty. Um But it's not like we didn't have money. It's just the way it was. My mom would like to get to to use everything until the next paycheck came. That was kind of what happened. Croquetas show up. Bechamel. When was no milk, <laughs> she'll use or if she had some chicken stuff left, or even water. Uh, she will add the half egg, halfway dry, that she will chop, and the one slice, always was one slice left in the refrigerator of ham, and she'll chop it. And she'll make these amazing croquettes with the breadcrumbs of the old bread of the weeks before that she will grind sometimes in the coffee grinder, because we only have one. And she used use the coffee grinder and the breadcrumbs grinder, same machine. I didn't grow up seeing big inequality. I didn't grow up watching hunger in the streets. I didn't. First time I saw that was when I went to Africa and Abidjan and South America and Caribbean. I was in the Spanish Navy, opened my eyes to the world. First time I left Europe. And is where I began seeing inequality, Dominican Republic, all the places. This is what began putting in me like, wow, look at this. But then I met Robert Ecker. I moved from share strength to DC Central Kitchen. I arrived there cooking next to ex convicts and, uh, and 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 homeless. Robert Eggers: saw so waste. He always said that everybody talks about food waste. Can we stop talking about food waste and stop start talking about we are wasting people's lives? Actually, good line. Not wasting food was the underline to make sure we didn't waste the lives of anybody that food came to the kitchen those men and women learned a profession we transformed that food into meals to go to the homeless population in dc Ten thousand meals i grew up within that organization in different positions over the years i'm still part of it in in different in in many ways with all of that in mind uh is when i saw katrina i saw september 11 and we saw how many chefs, a uh, hot dog a hot dog carts, began feeding anybody that was in need of food. But we saw Katrina too. And we saw Katrina how we let many Americans suffer do- during days and weeks and even to this day. We saw the Superdome, an arena. Everybody thinks an arena stadium is a place you go to watch sports. Wrong people, wrong. An arena is, is a gigantic restaurant that entertains with the sports. My inaction in Katrina, watching what was happening, I was younger, it's not like I, I could live in the, in the moment, uh, but when I was in Haiti, uh, when I was in Cayman Islands on 2010, when Haiti earthquake happened in port of Prince, hundreds of thousands of people died, total destruction and chaos, like we have never seen uh, in modern times. Um, that moment I was with uh, Eric Rippert, and Anthony Bourdain and in that moment watching um the beautiful Caribbean sea having a piña colada watching those images I told myself as soon as I can I'm going there not to help but to learn my learning began Wall Central Kitchen was founded and we began doing operations in Haiti where I went many times in the first few years In the process, I learned how cooks like me, how food people like you and I, we feed the few, well, the souls, well, their bodies. But if the entire food community comes together, imagine what we can do when we come together in the hard moments. World Central Kitchen was great on that promise. So World Central Kitchen, I hope, is gonna be here to be doing what we've been learning to do. Show up before if we can, or right after an emergency, and don't wait, don't plan, adapt, start cooking, and start feeding. The urgency of now when it's about food and water is yesterday. We're trying to be next to the the people immediately right after something happened. Is the least we can do. A plate of food becomes hope.
0: I want to get a sense of the scope of things. How many emergencies have you been responding to per year in the last few years, and and how many people do you think you've been serving feeding well i, I am
3: it. i am very myself i'm very bad on that that's yeah i know
0: it, but you have a sense book.
3: i know but but just to give you <laughs> a sense no. So, like the first time obviously uh, even we've been doing this for a long time i think maria is when we put this into the forefront of the american people uh, uh i was coming from houston after irma hit hard all the houston area and communities and I remember spending there almost 11, 12 days, uh, cooking in different places and setting different kitchens. And we were doing tens of thousands of meals. Um, but Maria is the, pl- the, pl- the place we almost did four million meals in one operation, wow. almost 120, 150,000 meals a day, 26 kitchens. We went from 10 friends the first day, many of them, some of the best cooks in San Juan, and amazing food truck owners, 10 friends to 25,000 volunteers. We went from one restaurant to 26 restaurants. We went from 1,000 meals a day the first day to more than 120,000 meals a day. Uh, we were doing distributions in 175 to depends on the day, places a day. So now we began growing and growing. For you to give you an example, when Dorian happened and hit Bahamas, 80,000 people, 15% of the country were damaged by the, the, the explosion of that hurricane. Uh, within days, Kitchen was doing 80,000 meals a day across 14 islands, six helicopters, two seaplanes. Um, we did um, a little bit more than 3 million meals in, 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 in a country that has less than 400,000, 450,000. Uh, keep going, Beirut. When the explosion destroyed that city, uh, we were there in 12 hours doing almost 20,000 meals a day with the help of 10 of the most talented, amazing uh, Lebanese people, that many are some of the most caring, loving, and best chefs. Uh, I'm amazed we can do it so quickly. Uh, Providence, so in this pandemic, uh, I think we are in the north of 50, 60 million plus million meals. Uh, um, We did those meals specifically when everything was dark. Remember in the early days, in March, April, May, many uh, hospitals were having cooks not showing up. Public transportation was stopping in some places. Um, uh, People were getting sick and couldn't go work. What's in a we had a lot of operation, uh, a lot of experience in cholera, in Mozambique, in Haiti. Myself, I've been in those situations. By March, even this came from February, We were able to develop the first health code in how to behave in the kitchen. In the moment that I knew I was putting people in danger by sending them to operations during COVID. Uh, Mark, remember that we had people at World Central Kitchen in Japan, in, in, in Yokohama, with the help of chefs like Nobu and his teams and many others, that we began feeding the first cruise ship that was known with COVID cases on board. We began feeding them. There my worry was how we keep my team healthy in a moment that this COVID looked like very bad. We followed with Oakland when Governor Newsom called us, and we were in Auckland waiting for the cruise ship to arrive. We never stopped signs them. The health protocols we created in early February, and we began sharing with many, like other restaurants, I think was Black Sheep in China, and Hong Kong share also theirs. It's where I'm the proudest. In the process, we kept vast quantities of our teams conscious of wearing masks, of wearing gloves, of keeping distance. We ran a very safe organization. We put 3,000 restaurants up on working, at one moment reaching over 300,000 meals a day, adapting every day, from hospitals in the Javit Center or in Central Park, to Oakland, to San Antonio, to Newark, to Bronx. I'm very proud that even within the emergency, the men and women at World Central Kitchen, they've been able to react. When the fires hit California and Colorado, we uh, were there. Right now, we are in, um, in Palestine uh, uh, with uh, feeding people uh, in Gaza uh, uh, and, um, uh, and the West Bank. Um, that's what we do. We believe in shorter walls, But longer tables, we're trying to create longer tables everywhere we
0: go. Something you and I talked about a while ago, but we haven't talked about it for a while is what's the the proper role or what would be a better role of government in all of this since what World Central Kitchen does is arguably something that we could or should, depending on your point of view, be relying on either the UN or local governments to be doing.
3: The men and women that work within government, uh, government agencies or in international development agencies like the World Food Program within the, uh, the UN or in America, um, the USAID, which does a lot of uh, represents America in, in, in big uh, catastrophic events overseas, uh, or FEMA in the United States, we can all do better. I think the people working in those organizations, they know it. Sometimes organizations grow too big. They lose the capacity to react quick and fast. I know that sometimes I may sound like a smartass when I go, we can do better, we can do faster, and everybody, yeah, yeah, Jose, but this is a very big catastrophic event, come on. but I think food and water is something everybody understands. But let me tell you what happens in an emergency. you know the people that are really, really, really always suffering? The poorest people in the poorest part of town. That happens usually are the ones that flood and usually are the ones that the homes are not so well built and are the ones, those are the people that suffer the most. If they suffer the most and they live in poorer areas, you could argue that what they make per year or per month or per week, is only so much money. When you have people that already have food insecurity, do you think anybody has enough money to have for one or two weeks of food and water for their entire family? No. And quicker we respond, quicker people feel okay and hopeful, but quicker the reconstruction starts. I want quicker because we must be ready for the next hurricane season, or the next flooding season. And we must rebuild better, smarter. Governments, big NGOs, they have a tendency to plan. So if you only build success in following the plan and nothing goes to plan and your teams don't learn how to adapt and embrace complexity, they will always be a failure. So my call is going to be on behalf of everybody, trying to make FEMA better, trying to make bigger organizations better, and trying to make sure, hold on, that we are not perfect, that we keep learning so we can always have the quickest and fastest response no matter the situation.
0: I am so proud to know you. I'm so happy that we've become friends over the years. And yeah, you're just, you're doing such great work. You've become a hero. It's fabulous.
3: We began talking at the beginning, right? About how everything is 360. Now I don't want anybody to feel guilty. It's okay one day you overeat. It's okay one day you overdrink. It's okay you do whatever you want. Okay. Be free and be good and celebrate life. Food is a way. But we must all do it more pragmatically. We without excesses in the in the too much or in the too little. Just be natural, be you, but just think about it. Chefs like me, food writers like you, many others, we've all talked with romanticism about the people, many of them women, around the world that cook in the streets. We've made street cooking know something like this, if you really love food and you are a foodie, you love street cooking. And you know the best places in every city. And sometimes they are in the poor neighborhoods. But I want everybody used to think when you go to one of those men and women that are in the street, some of them are successes and they work in good environments and very clean. But many of them look around where they work look around how they live, look around. All of the sudden you realize if you really go deep that there's no so much romanticism, that those people are living a hard life, that they are working longer hours, they have to because maybe they have to move their entire restaurant on the street in and out every day, that they put hours and hours just for you and I to be able to go and do an Instagram and say, look at the amazing ball I got today. Even those situations, we don't realize because maybe we don't have to be asking ourselves about everything every single time but behind every plate of food is a story all together we must make sure that all the stories behind every plate of food are good stories and where the people behind those foods not only from the woman that cooks that bowl all the way to the people that provide us with the ingredients from the goodness of the earth we must be pragmatic in understanding that everybody in that chain is taken care of. I don't think that's much to ask. It's okay to keep thinking about food and romanticism. I am the most romantic guy when I think about food. I can explain to you how a peach smells or the silky peppers that my mom will roast and peel with her hands when I was very young and I will watch her in awe. It's okay to love food and express ourselves this way but also must be the new rule of the land that food people of the world will look at the plate of food with another eye, from another angle. And even maybe street food, still we need to enjoy it. But if we can give that person a place that can own a food truck, oh, maybe it will be better. should be that we love the profession we love, the eating and the foods and the dishes that makes us who we are. But we must make sure that the people that make it happen are also enjoying that moment in the same way uh, you and I do it. So that's just good for thought, my friend.
0: Well, it's important to think you could love the food, but you have to love the people who produce it and the earth that produces it too, so yeah. Thank you, my friend. I love you. It was great to see you and so much fun to talk.
3: You're looking good. See you in DC. Bye. (laughs)
0: Hope so. This is a kind of late summer, early fall sangria that Jose taught me, um, again, about 20 years ago. And um, he has a white sangria recipe, but I thought seasonally this one is a little more appropriate and I really like it a lot. So, um, you know, like most drink recipes, it's pretty straightforward, but there's a lot of stuff. You just need to combine all of these things in a pitcher. Ready? You're going to want to write this down. About two cups of red wine, and we're not talking about rotgut here. We're talking about something decent. Doesn't have to be the best wine you have, but something good. Two cups of red wine, about a cup of cut-up fruit, but fall fruit, oranges and apples, pears, like that. Maybe some more chopped up for garnish. Um, a shot of vodka, you can use more. A shot of brandy or Grand Marnier, again, you can use more. A bit of fresh orange juice, let's say... Uh, And oranges, a navel oranges worth, a shot, again, a shot of fresh orange juice, a little bit of lime juice, a teaspoon of sugar, um, or you can use more when you taste this, and a cinnamon stick. Put all that stuff in a pitcher, stir it, refrigerate it for a couple hours. And then add ice to fill that pitcher, and um, you can add a splash of Sprite or 7-Up or seltzer or tonic water if you want, Uh, more sugar or more spirits to taste, and serve that uh, garnished with a bit of additional cut-up fruit. That is a good fruity sangria, and those of you who are fans of red sangria, I'm sure will like it a lot. We will be moving to live Q&A. So um, the pressure is on you, Ben, to tell me, what's your burning question about food or cooking?
4: Mark, we just welcomed our our third kid, uh, 11-week-old baby Zoe. So we got three at home. And, uh, you know, going through the daily grind now of of work and uh, three kids and uh, pandemic and what have you, um and and like you i enjoy cooking have always enjoyed cooking uh but admittedly this has become a little bit more difficult mm. um as i try to have my kids eat what we eat i know that you did the same uh when your kids were growing up uh but whenever i try to do something off the beaten path it's ew it's yuck it's gross it's whining and um you know it's tough. You, you spend a lot of time on something and and you get beaten down by your little kids. I, I'm sure you get the question all the time about what do you feed kids? But I want to ask it a little bit differently, which is I knew you grew to love cooking when you had little kids. And I guess my question is how?
0: Well, I think I grew to love cooking before, but I think I was. Uh, I wasn't uncompromising but i think i did say i'm cooking grown up food and i expect people to eat it and i did um i did allow myself to I, you know my kids will still tell the story about how they ate squid every night for a month or whatever but and it's an exaggeration but i did allow myself to or not allow myself I cooked the food that I wanted to be cooking. And I was cooking it was cooking a lot of fish in those days and a lot of odd cuts of meat. I had assignments where people were saying go find cheap cuts of meat that taste really good and write about it or go write about how to make healthier sandwiches or whatever and I did that stuff and I guess I I guess there was always yogurt in the refrigerator in those days we considered yogurt health food i mean it still could be if it didn't have eight tablespoons of sugar in each cup but um and there was always sort of peanut butter and stuff like that and it was like by the time they were four i think the the attitude was here's what dinner is if you don't like it you're welcome to make yourself something else maybe we were more liberal than that. I mean, maybe we would say we'll make you some noodles or something, but I think for the most part it was like, here's supper. This is it. I'm because and I don't think it was I didn't particularly care whether the kids learned to eat grown up food or not. I was just unwilling to eat kid food. So or cook twice. So I mean how many options do you really have? You cook a separate meal for the kid or you have macaroni and cheese every night for two years <laughs> they can mix some peas in and add a little bit to it <laughs> um i mean i am obviously a baby is a different you know sure. you're not gonna you're not gonna feed pasta a la to a 11 week old
4: were your kids when you when they were young were they ruthless critics like mine are of
0: your cooking I mean, not just my kids. I, look, I was learning. I'm talking about the 80s mostly here. I guess the 80s and the 90s. I'd say from those 15 or whatever years, I was really l- learning how to cook, but I was cooking with uh, all kinds of different people, from chefs to you know, grandmas. I was cooking with those kind of people almost all the time, and I would come home excited and say, you know i want to make this korean tofu stew i just learned or I, or I, you know, I want to make this uh whatever these thai shrimp sticks or or fresh tortillas with tongue or you know what whatever it was i wanted to do it and sometimes they were big hits and sometimes they were like what are you what are you even thinking putting this stuff on the table so my kids have broad and deep knowledge of food and extremely uh, uh, adventurous palates, and I think that that's the upside. The upside is if you feed them grown-up food, then they grow up to eat everything, which is kind of what adults should do, I think.
4: Well... My kids are ruthless. I guess I've been blaming it on them being kids, but maybe I'm just a bad cook.
0: <laughs> Let's hear what you're trying to feed them. We don't have much
4: time in the day, right? So we don't do adventurous uh, recipes that are um, all that adventurous. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, we have, we live in Burlington, Vermont. We're surrounded by farmers markets and co ops with fresh local, regional, produce and meat and so uh we're trying to make sure they're getting their vegetables and getting their fruits and getting their proteins um but like you mentioned if it's not mac and cheese regardless of what the recipe is the uh the the critiques are are are
0: rough and have you made mac and cheese with like real parmesan and
4: Oh yeah, they love that. So yeah, I, and that—that's where I get my fix, right? Is when I'm not just opening up the uh, sort of boxed mac and cheese, but instead I'm making my roux with milk and flour and adding in the pasta and using real Parmesan and Vermont cheddar, uh, throwing some vegetables in, but can't do it every night. And right. uh, and and I get my I get my cooking fix by spending time on recipes like that.
0: You know what I would, I think I would sort of concentrate on variations of other grains besides pasta and see if you could move them in the kind of, I'm talking off the top of my head, but I think if you made a bowl of white rice and did Frank's and beans on top of that, seriously, and even allowed the beans to be Heinz baked beans or whatever beans with sugar in them is what I'm saying. And then gradually move that toward brown rice with home cooked pinto beans with like good ham and no sugar and a couple of vegetables. If that if that uh, transformation could take place over a period of three or six months, I I think I would consider that a great success. You know, the packaged versions of these things are always like based on real dishes. And and if you could sort of say to them, look, here's some junk food for you. Like here's franks and beans with, with white rice or even start with franks and beans and French fries and then move the white rice in and then change the rice to brown rice and change the franks to some kind of more legitimate meat and change the beans to something that you're cooking yourself and make that a kind of project and think of three or four dishes that you can do that with. Just give... Find a stir fry that they'll eat, like the lowest common denominator stir fry, maybe one that's heavy in meat and has a lot of uh, hoi shin sauce in it or even ketchup or whatever, and then gradually move that towards like something that's made with better ingredients.
4: Well, I'll give it a shot. The complaints are coming in your fan mail, though.
0: <laughs> well, um, we could check in. And th- if you give it a legitimate shot, Let's check in in three months and see see how it's going. All right. All right. Um,
4: I've, well, I've, I've, I had one more question for you, Mark, which is, you know, you're now one of the world's most famous vegans.
0: No, I'm a partial vegan. I'm not a vegan. I'm a vegan before six. So I'm, the, well, I'm one of the world's most famous part-time vegans.
4: You're certainly the world's most famous vegan before six o'clock. Uh, if you could do it all over again would you have your kids follow the same model would you do more uh of that when they were young
0: you know i think that to the extent that you can convince your kids and yourselves obviously that rice and beans and vegetables and fruits are sort of the the real staples and everything else is is add-ons I think you're doing a great job. I mean, I'm, but it's a lot of pressure to put on parents. I, th- you know, I think that the first, the first job of parents, I think, is to try to get to get the, get their kids to eat real foods, to to eliminate sweetened breakfast cereals and lunchables and and you know, overly sugared yogurts and other f- sort of prepared foods that just. You know, are crap. And I think it, the first job is to try to eliminate that stuff. And if by eliminating that stuff, you're eating meat, but it's real meat, I kind of think that's okay. I mean, David Katz, who I co-wrote a book with, um, who's really smart, always says the question is, instead of what? So if you say to somebody, um, can I have an egg? If somebody says to you, can I have an egg for breakfast? Is it good to have an egg for breakfast? David would say, if you're having an egg instead of a donut, the answer is yes. and But if you're having an egg instead of oatmeal with walnuts and raspberries, the answer is no. And, you know, I think if you look at a lot of things in that, ask yourself that question. If the kid says, can I have a strawberry yogurt for dinner and the, and the alternative is whatever you're making, you know, I think they should be encouraged to be eating what you're making. Thanks, Mark. If you want to speak with us, Call our our podcast hotline, 833-FOOD-POD, that's 833-366-3763, and we will set up a time to chat with you uh, via Zoom, and we'll record that. I have a lot of Jose Andres recipes in my files because we've known each other for more than 20 years and um, we've cooked together quite a few times. But many of them are complicated. Jose began as a guy who was doing complicated modern food, or a lot of it was that. One of my favorite dishes that he's done of all time is uh, a dish he calls Santorini lentils, which are yellow split peas. Recipes originally from Zeitinia, his Greek Middle Eastern restaurant in. DC. Um, This is a a really, really good, simple um, split pea dish. You can use what are called Santorini favas. You can use any split fava beans. You can use yellow split peas, yellow dal. You can use green split peas, anything like that. So start with, say, a three-quart pot and uh, put a tablespoon or two of olive oil in there and cook some chopped onion, a quarter cup, half a cup or so of chopped onion until it softens and begins to turn brown. That'll take, what, seven, ten minutes. And then uh, add some bay leaf, a couple of bay leaves, some sprigs of thyme, and uh, some black peppercorns. You can put the black peppercorns and the thyme and bay leaf in a cheesecloth if you want to fish them out later, but I don't bother to do that. Then add um, a chopped carrot uh, and a pound of your split lentils, uh, your split favas, or your... Uh, split yellow peas or split green peas whatever you like here and add water to cover by a couple of inches uh, bring that to a boil and cook until most of the water is absorbed which is going to be about 30 minutes uh, adjust the heat so that it, it doesn't dry out um, when the lentils are nearly soft turn the heat down to a bare minimum cover, cook for another 10 or 15 minutes or so until the beans or peas are are really tender, and then turn off the heat. If they're not tender, add a little more water and cook for a while longer. Then let that cool off a little bit, drain the lentils if the mixture is very wet, and then mash them or semi-puree them. You can use an immersion blender, you can use a potato masher, you could use a real blender, that is a stand-up blender, you could use a food processor. You want a sort of rough puree. And then season to taste with salt and and more pepper. You can make this well in advance. If you want to warm it and serve it warmer at room temperature, garnished with capers, some chopped shallots or chopped chives, good healthy drizzle of good olive oil, and a sprinkling of lemon juice. Uh, Really, really great. You'll like that. And I want to thank you to my old friend, Jose Andres, who amazes pretty much all of us on a daily basis. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Chef Jose Andres. That's Chef J O S E A N D R E S, Jose Andres. And at WC Kitchen. And on Facebook at Chef Jose Andres and at World Central Kitchen. One word, thank you to. Davis Lloyd, as always, our fabulous engineer who, even when I'm up at the crack of dawn recording in poor voice, he makes it sound great. And to Kate Bittman, my co-host and our producer. If you want more from us, please visit bitmanproject.com you'll find a great piece I just published about my trials and failures with the sous vide wand. And I think by the time you hear this, you'll see a great piece up there by Carrie who's been mucking about with whole wheat pastas and some other things, but lots of good stuff coming up. Check out the newsletter, bitmanproject.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and rate us. Give us five stars. Tell your friends, keep us going. And we will see you next week with someone whom you haven't heard before. And also, fantastic. Bye for now.
2: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.